listening to UNS Talks, a podcast by the international architecture and design firm UN Studio, hosted today by me, Mira Stanic. In this episode, we will be discussing our approach to introducing digital technologies into our designs as a means of improving user experience. This episode is a part of our report on technology in the built environment. We sit down with Ren Yi, our Head of Innovation Strategy, and Huey Chan, a strategic designer from the UNS Futures team, to explore these technological innovations and where they are headed. To begin with, we know that technology and data can be put to good use with respect to optimizing the operational side of buildings. But what about using data to improve user experience? Huey, could you give a brief outline of the ways in which that can be done? I think if you think about technology, it is uh, and users. Typically, it's uh, the interface level that is very important. We interact with buildings, systems, and services through multiple types of interface every day, from our phones to control panels um, and whatnot. So I think there is a tremendous opportunity to use technology to tailor sort of information and services that are delivered to the user through these interfaces. Uh, but also understand their needs and preference, preferences, of course, through consent um, as they go through um, their journey using these services. And these are really important in relation to the built environment, which is uh, sort of the domain that we work in, because um, building spaces are also holders of um, social life um, programs, and it links technology links these to different types of operators um, and, and systems as well. So as designers in the built environment, we have, we're sort of like in the middle ground bridging these two between the users and the space. You mentioned uh, what I think is a very interesting uh, word and uh, concept in the context of data and how we use it. You mentioned consent. European Union is doing quite well in regards to uh, regulating data protection and privacy with the introduction of GDPR. But still, I think there's uh, quite a bit of uh, knowledge gap uh, when it comes to uh, citizens. So that leads to hesitance um, when it comes to sharing data. Uh, Ren, what do you see as the biggest obstacles there and what could be potential incentives for people to share data? Right? And if we expand that, do you perhaps also see that the way we collect data is changing currently? Yeah, indeed. I think the world collectively is coming to tackle the the, these challenges. Um, for example, the European Commission uh, uh, have the GDPR and it's a constant conversation with protecting data privacy of user and security of the data for tech companies. And this conversation right now is stepping so much into the public space, the public realm, the urban environment. And all of these are being discussed heavily and debated heavily. So I think that the biggest issue right now is that this technology and the framework and the policy are being evolving as we speak. And the way they're doing right now is that people need to have a full trust, that the, the, the trust is important, that you need to have trust that their privacy is protected and the data is secure. And a lot of technology now coming into that realm, making sure that's the case, there are policymakers outlining new policies that protects it. So I do think that the first thing is the feeling of trust. People need to trust that. Um, and, and in that case, the other issue is that 
for example, in Netherlands, so we had uh, we were working on this 100 home project in Brainport Smart District. The client was very, very ambitious. The client said that you know, if we want to talk about this data and urban level, we should be using this as a platform to try out and uh, to test the environment and to see what we can improve and what we what kind of technology is missing. So the government, interestingly, instead of taking a defensive stance in protecting data and say we can't do that, they say we might as well experiment this in a very secure environment where all stakeholders should be there to learn. Policymakers, technology owners, citizens especially. So that condition is very important to, to bridge that, 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 that issue that we have. And I think the, the incentives to actually get people, citizens here, to, to share the data is in order for them to understand that big challenges can only be tackled if we do this collectively. Data is one of the key. How, how often do you travel? How do, what is your eating behavior, your food, your waste, your energy consumption? Uh, these are all important data that collectively can be a system. Looking at the data, we can solve or reimagine a system. So I think the, after getting a trust, people need to understand that we can, we can only tackle this if we do it together. And I think the most important thing at the end is the power and, and agency and control. So the, the people need to know that it is a transparent process and that they, it is secure consent-based data sharing. So if I know all of this and I can see it's transparent and it's based on my control, I think this is democratic base. So and in the end, people need to have that consent and the decision. It's very difficult, but I think if we continue to pursue in this direction, we're in the right direction to solving this. You touched upon that, uh, understanding what, how the data is being used and what's uh, the purpose of it is key. And in the past, uh, we have seen a lot of companies gathering a lot of data without really knowing what to do with it. Uh, do you mm -hmm. see a, a shift there potentially? Yeah, I think this is uh, where UN Studio and our effort comes into play. We use our design thinking process, our conceptual thinking, and also trying to design new system. We work with the client to understand what the, does the uh, user need. So the impact is also important. So apart from impact in developing their product, we are actually guiding the client to know the impact on designing, collecting da these data to design for a better user experience. So yes, I do think that these are go, go, all going in that direction. Uh, and to continue a bit on that, digital technologies can improve service offerings within a development, and uh, you touched upon it already. Could you expand a bit on how we can imagine that and offer some concrete examples? Yeah, um, indeed. So this is... We were talking about uh, in the office that, you know, what shapes which, uh, whether it's technology shaping our lifestyle or is our lifestyle shaping the development of technology. I, I think that these are going both ways. And I think that the direction right now is that our lifestyle, we're gearing towards smart green growth. So anything on sustainable, but at the same time, good quality of life. These are the lifestyle that is determining where the technology is going. So I think that a lot of these type of services and, and service offerings are, are uh, provided to consumers that we have today. And you also notice that a lot of these consumer services is affecting our infrastructure. It's affecting the way we design streets. It's affecting the way we design public spaces. In this case, more concretely, affecting the way we design, for example, the core of a high-rise. 
So one of the interesting projects that we work with, uh, it's, it's in Korea. It's called H1 Project. Our client is HDC. They were, very, they were developing a huge major development that changes the north uh, portion of Seoul. And so they are thinking about how can we ensure that this big development enables and cater for the lifestyle of the new generation. So a lot of these were part of a dialogue and uh, they, we're, we're thinking with the, the service provider, technology provider, especially with the client, what kind of infrastructure are we changing? So in this branded experience that we're creating for the client, we're focusing on a few uh, domains. So the domain of health and wellness, uh, the domain of culture, the domain of domestic living, the domain of work and productivity, and especially the domain of mobility, because HTC is an affiliated company to Hyundai. So all of these are both place-based innovation. How do we change the, the development itself? But hand-in-hand hand going together with this development is basically the service provided onto the development. So these are the new offerings that we think that will come and shape the new lifestyle of the, the next century that is sustainable, uh, social, and healthy. And do you see that these digital services potentially also have the capacity that we might not think about uh, initially or intuitively? Do you think that they can also be used for community empowerment? Yeah, that's a very uh, important question. I'm glad you asked this because um, one thing is to design for all great experience for the people, but the other thing is actually designing infrastructure for the commons for the collectives. Uh, so indeed, uh, we, we, we really push the client to say what the technology is not only service to improve the experience of living in the place, but a foundation to build a tighter, stronger community. And this is for us very important. So indeed, the idea of, for example, the food system, you can think about how to empower um, and bring collective decision-making, uh, a sense of collectives about food system itself. So we can think about in the project that we discussed just now in H1, we designed a full holistic food system that partially is to bring people together, to, to bring in the, the, the touch point for intergenerational touch point and building a, a social capital. The other thing is to merge technology on high-tech food production yield. And all of this food production, for example, can be manifested, can, can be also be realized in the, the consumption, the way people cook food together, the way we uh, uh, learn about food technology. How do we teach younger generation to, to understand how technology and relationship with food? It also changes your behavior and your relationship with food. So all of these basically are decisions that empowers and builds collective together. Another example I would like to share is a very interesting project we did with Amsterdam City, where the city asked us to deal with a square, a big open square, that is otherwise left empty. And we realized that in the area, that square is a place where a lot of uh, lower social uh, economic income group lives, and they don't really have a place or say in a public space. So together, the idea of this self-learning plaza, how do you give agency and interface for local community to own the place, to decide what happens to the place? And this is about designing technology and interface with the city, because the city would understand how to curate the, play, the place, but also change the policy on renting the place, for example. So we're also trying to change systems that empower people, the local communities. Still building on that idea of a tool for community, of social capital of can technology offer a type of stewardship in how we define or redefine maybe that's a better term 
our relationship with the environment. Um, and to make this even broader, Huey, could you identify some of the new tech-driven developments in how we approach the environment? I think if we think about technology in relation to environment, one of the first things that come to mind is um, energy. How do we mm-hmm. look towards um, the future of energy production and consumption? And um, so in, in one of the projects, we are really thinking heavily along the lines of how can we shift people's mindsets towards um, new practices around decentralized energy. Um, so if we assume that you know, that future forms of energy are coming from renewable sources like in- intermittent sources, right, wind and sun, that is no longer 100% available all the time, as in the fossil reality we have today, how do we need to change our behaviors? Uh, it means little things like um, you know, running your washing machine or dishwasher at hours in which peak production, peak green or, or, or sun happens. Uh, but it also means integrating a lot of peak shaving infrastructure like neighborhood scale batteries, uh, um, apps that sort of um, trade energy between neighborhoods. You know, as one neighborhood produces more, it gives surplus to the next. And, and these require... Um, really like real-time um, energy platforms. Um, and finally, there's the whole sort of a gamification or psychological aspect to it where, you know, this, these things don't just happen in the background. Like users and residents need to be fully aware of what is at stake, uh, what are the uh, impacts of their action, and this is fed back through very joyful um, energy interfaces. And, and we're thinking, you know, over the long term, how future homes, future offices could sort of embody these kinds of ideas. Um, yeah, and talking about environment as well, uh, so this is more at the indoor scale uh, or at the smaller scale, we're thinking a lot about how we can use technology to add an additional layer of understanding towards nature. Um, obviously, now there are many types of sensors that can quantify soil data, air quality data, um, but we are also looking at emerging fields uh, such as microbiomes, for example, how plant selection or plant curation in a home can affect uh, the population of, of, of bacteria, right? Uh, which, which really influences our physical but also mental well-being. Um, of course, these are more on the, on the horizon, uh, but we want to continue to sort of really pay attention to these ideas. You you mentioned briefly the importance of uh, how this how we could use technology to uh, influence our well being, and one of the areas that is uh, visibly more and more influenced by digital technologies is definitely health. Uh, if you look at the digital app market, that's one of the fast, fastest growing categories. And for example, since last year, GPs in Germany, which is traditionally quite not so keen to introduce these types of innovations into their public systems, uh, they can prescribe health-related digital apps that are covered by insurance to their patients the same way that they would prescribe medicine, right? Uh, Ren, how do you imagine digitally-driven health systems integrated into our neighborhoods in the future? Yeah, health has been an obsession for UN Studio for a very long time. Ben is now teaching also in Harvard GSD uh, and and. Uh, designing a studio all around health for for a really long time ago. So, indeed, if you think about health, health is holistic, right? Health is not only interaction with healthcare. 
uh, health. For, there's one thing that I, will, I always quote. This is a research from Boston Foundation. Um, they were saying that it was a research that shows um, your health impact is 20% based on your genetics. So 20% of it is affected by what you're born with. But 37% is based on your health behavior, decisions you make in life, what you eat, how you sleep, uh, or, uh, what kind of activity do you're involved in. 22% is based on your socioeconomics and physical environment, which is basically what you're exposed to, who you're exposed to, and what kind of space you're exposed to. And si only 6% is uh, attributed to access to healthcare. So in reality, there's all of these integration that we need to see holistically. You need to imagine that if you're going to build a city, it's going to be a lot about place-based innovation that comes into your city, whether it is a program on the ground in your neighborhood, all the way to technology in your house, or an access to services. There's telehealth, uh, telemedicine, and all, all they're coming in. So I think that we have the responsibility to look at it holistically. And, and, and the way we can influence this, for example, on health behavior is that as a designer, how do you encourage healthy habit nudging? We work with UVA uh, Health, uh, um, the, uh, the UVA student team, focusing on behavioral science and cognitive science. How can we design a space that promotes healthy decision making? Uh, and these are quite interesting. Also, in terms of the physical environment, as a sp how can you spatially design and program a space that is healthy? And for the health integration, how can you imagine home, the one that we're designing, can, can be integrated, we can integrate innovative healthcare and preventative health services in the home. So these are all a spectrum that we're working in, and we know that healthcare is no longer just in a hospital. Uh, healthcare is getting out of the hospital, healthcare is getting closer to the patient and the people. Healthcare is also, interestingly, getting more, they involve more and more the patients. So patients need to be part of their decision-making on the healthcare, and healthcare is getting less complex. In other words, healthcare is penetrating our neighborhood and our home. So uh, the examples that we do here, if you go on our website, we have a project in Brizzano, whereby we implement all of this thinking, this place-based innovation, as well as integrating the service uh, into this um, uh, built environment. So uh, one of the interesting things that we create and constantly push this to the client is can we imagine new form of uh, uh, program, for example, that merges the, your daily grocery to uh, your healthcare touch point of a certain system or access to healthy food. This is where decisions are made based on food. And there are so much of ways we need to look into how we shop and what, inf what access of, uh, of services that we have in a shopping, in a grocery shopping. So this way of thinking, in fact, is something that we want to go from here all the way to the home. Uh, and Huey, could you maybe expand a bit of how we could see these layers of health-related uh, digital technologies in the scale of, of a home? Yeah, sure. Um, when we talk about the home, uh, what comes to mind is the domestic, the private, very intimate scale. And um, when, we, when, when I think about home, um, I like to think of this idea of ambient interface. So how can we deliver information or receive information from the user that is beyond just bombarding it, bombarding them through the screen? So, so the home is like a in a way, like a, like a device or like a giant interface which we can successively embed ways of interacting with the, with the user. Um, so really thinking along the line of 
for example, when we talk about health, um, we have done work where housing is tailored for the elderly or in need. And, you know, at, at the moment in the market, there are sensors or fall sensors or devices which track um, sort of critical events, uh, health events or dangers in the life of an elderly. But what if the home itself could also contain an alert system which knows and can notify a close, trusted circle of um, helpers or, or community to, to help take care of this resident, right? So that's how we really envision the home as a caring model um, in relation to ambient sort of interfaces. Um, back to the topic of food, um, you know, like in the domain of the kitchen, we are also thinking about, yeah, through trusted means, how can we um, make sort of better provision of healthy food that links to uh, our everyday activities like going to the grocery. So how can, you know, um, instead of making individual decisions to, to get, f you know, healthy food, which might be fallible, we can um, sort of, yeah, create new channels of making available healthy choices for the users. You were, you, we were thinking about precision nutrition as well, like how that could be integrated into your everyday decision while you're cooking at home. So these are very interesting. We need to imagine all these services that are layered into our everyday consumer life and, and think about how these affect the process and activity that we're working on, for example, in a physical space like a kitchen. So I, I do think that a lot of these health benefit and health habit will be much more integrating information that comes in the form of service that will determine your, your decision you do on the spot in a physical space. Uh, along that line, I also see um, a lot more integration because the home, as I mentioned earlier, is a very intimate surrounding. And if we overcome some of these consent and trust issues around data, I think um, there will be a lot more integration between our knowledge, our internal intrinsic knowledge of the, the way our physiology works, from our mental states um, to our bodies, you know, to the kind of different spatial elements in the home. We can think about emerging areas of phototherapy where light uh, is sort of administered or delivered in a very specific wavelength to, to optimize or to improve sleep. Um, for example, right? Um, so, so those kinds of integration we see uh, a big potential in the domain of the home. I really appreciate this image of entire home as a caring inter in interface. I think it's a really strong idea. Uh, and as you, as, as you explained before, it's at the same time very integrated into the community network, right? Uh, communicates with it, that uh, it can uh, access services within it. Um, and uh, when you talk about how humans interact with technology, uh, in, in, in how you explain it, there's less and less hard mm -hmm. objects, less and less screens, mm -hmm. and we're going towards a mm -hmm. more fluid relationship for sure. Uh, how do you see that further evolving, Ren? So uh, from a personal life perspective, I talk to my uh, Google Home a lot. So I think we're all living through this moment whereby 
a lot of interface got out from the screen goes into the voice uh, this for me this is a half step there um, we in the research domain Mira you and I have been talking to a lot of academic researchers and we noticed as well there is a um, research focusing on intuitive uh, intuitive seamless interaction even sometimes falls out of the background uh, but also create a little bit of the very direct, uh, there's no more direct interaction with the physical space. System kind of knows what you need and delivers the, the, the services or the condition uh, where it is needed. And this is powered by artificial intelligence. So in the world whereby data privacy is soft, artificial intelligence will be able to understand much more our behavior and therefore knows what kind of nudging. It sounds a little bit scary because I think sometimes people have a fear of giving up control and influence the physical space. So I do think that part of that influence, uh, interaction is still a stop button. There will always be a physical human needs to hit a red button that says stop, for example. So I do think the interface is going to be a blend of those physical stop, uh, interactive, intuitive, background type of uh, um, control. Uh, I think we have a lot more tools to understand our behavior now, even predict some models of behavior. And um, that is greatly influencing on how we design for mobility and how we can uh, improve user experience there. Huey, could you expand on that a bit? Sure. Um, but circling back to the stop button yeah. argument and linking back to both, <laughs> I just remembered a very interesting anecdote um, by an activist group in, I think, in the US, uh, where they are sort of fighting this idea of fully autonomous vehicles. They, they believe that vehicles can be autonomous, but please always put a steering wheel so that at any time a human being can take control of it. Right, and this goes into this idea of um, sort of universal mobility, right? That at any given moment, this power to drive is still available. And, and I found that really an interesting also parallel in the home. But back to your question, Mira, um, on mobility, I think there's loads we can do in terms of um, user experience uh, from a technological standpoint. So, so if you think about mobility of the future, um, at least for us, we always think in terms of multimodal trips, not to rely on a singular form of transport, especially the car, right? Um, and if that is the reality, then um, we can think of a multimodal trip as consisting of many decision points. You know, how do you get the, to your shared bike? Is it available? How do you switch to a bus and then or to a train and get to your final destination? So in any points of those at, at that journey, there's a lot of uh, mental decisions to make. And our approach here is to really use technology or data to smoothen the user journey, to make it as seamless as possible, um, making available sort of traffic information to the user, but not just pushing it wholesale, but really understanding the psychology and the decision-making process to reduce the frustrations um, of a rider as they, as they you know, um, realize that there's a delay or you know, there's not enough bikes. So, so we really want to come from this standpoint of increasing journey satisfaction and how to combine different spaces and services together. So that's one area of mobility. Um, another one on mobility is on the community level. Um, we're working a lot more with neighborhoods uh, developments right now. So, and a lot of the discussion centers around how can we encourage more use of shared cars 
among a neighborhood scale population. So for example, among 10 households. And that's a, a question we often get. And here we are thinking a lot on sort of community organization um, through and digital methods like apps. So how can we create a neighborhood timetable uh, where residents share their commuting hours in the, the view of sharing cars, right? Um, how can we organize carpools? It's an idea as old as time, but it's sort of re-emerging. How can we tweak people's expectations around carpool and make encourage them to share a ride? Um, this is always paired with physical interventions. So. Carpooling comes with pickup points. How do you design them uh, nicely along neighborhoods? Um, and then if you, if you zoom out, all of these tiny practices, they actually contribute to like, societal gains. Like, uh, it, it, it helps to peak shave traffic off major highways, right? So, um, so yeah, this is really where we, we, we try to tailor our approach. I like that you mentioned that some of these ideas are very, very old. We now finally have the tools to uh, implement them, right? Uh, and many of them have to do with shared economies. Um, and we've touched uh, several times uh, upon the difficulties in um, introducing new technologies, about the hesitance, about uh, reducing frustration. We still linger to want to have a, a red stop button, uh, things like that. And it's changing also a bit uh, our role as designers. Uh, and within UN Studio projects, uh, you and your future teams are working with real clients, with cities. Uh, what do you see as the main obstacles? What, what, what are the main obstacles that you have fa uh, faced in the past in actually getting these types of innovations accepted and eventually also implemented? Mm. I think it's always start with misalignment between intention, goals and solution. Um, when we work with municipality and big clients, sometimes the idea is hinged, it's more like finding a solution, finding a uh, answer from a solution. So you have something very interesting of technology you want to implement, but then you try to impose that. So for example, that kind of mentality is just not a way it will not uh, uh, um, it will not promise and guarantee successful innovation implementation so we first need to start with the right problem what are the most pressing problem and then we can figure out what we can uh, what kind of solution we can do so i think that's the first one and i think the other thing is about the the risk in innovation so we're all dreamers we're all uh, with the clients with the, with the, we, even the community we all have great ideas but in reality we have to accept the fact that these innovations are being developed as well so we have the the big issue then the big discussion we have is basically the risk of fi financial risk how much are you investing into it and also operational risk like uh, if we're going to fall f uh, f uh, rely too much on one solution provider and it's a lock-in system and what if the system fail for example so we need to see this in a long uh, process, and this is what I also noticed the European more municipality, like for example Amsterdam, look at the, mitigating the risk in that way. Look at it from a process, start from small scale and scale up and test and adjust their policy at the same time. And I think you also mentioned the, the acceptance. That, that is for me the biggest challenge because a lot of these are top down. This is a great solution, let's try this here. But if you don't consult with the people that you're designing for, addressing their real problem that they face every day. At the end of the day, people just think it's a great system, but it would not have a, 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 a big scale adoption. So 
in that place, we need to mitigate that problem through involving the user with the right framework strategically from the get-go and then create a, a, a dialogue that we will adjust both policy, adjust the technology, catering to the needs and addressing the concern of the people and then try small scale and then we can roll out. I, I do think that this is, getting, this is becoming the base model for a lot of cities now. And for cities who are from a top-down perspective, they, they will know that this is not the right way to go anymore. I think for me, you mentioned two key things, uh, thinking from a visionary perspective, but being ready to adjust at any moment. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that we can go through the, this podcast without mentioning the metaverse, right? Maybe as a closing statement, Right. Where do you see its role uh, in what Ren sometimes likes to call, but other people as well, the dawn of the, or of the fourth industrial revolution? Huey. Um, yeah, I think uh, when it comes to the metaverse, it's a very con contentious term, right? Um, but I will be, be careful not to immediately take a cynical position or to a naive position to accept it, right? Uh, as complex thinkers that we all should be. I think uh, we, we know metaverse is just a label that is now being contested by many different parties to mean many different things. Um, it's useful to, to really unpack it, unpack this kind of catch-all term and to see, you know, what we can get out of it in order to build the sort of future outcomes that we want. Um, yeah, so for me at least, uh, the, meta the good parts about the metaverse is about collaboration it's about finding new ways to engage with different, different senses. I think, yeah, one of the things that Metaverse as a term offers is that, again, the escape from the screen into other forms of engagement which are more sensorial, you know, towards our five senses. And I'm not just talking about a particular VR track that one party is proposing, but really, again, going back to thinking about ambient interfaces, how can we use color, um, sound, um, you know, successive gentle stories uh, or characters, you know, new forms of storytelling to engage people. And that to me is immersion, um, for example. Um, and the collaborative aspect is also very interesting. Um, this aspect of technological education or breaking down the barriers of awareness to a wider group of people or users is important. So I see also this idea of metaverse being a new interface between, let's say, the inner workings of a city, or complex systems with a general public that is maybe less well-versed uh, with those languages, um, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's um, still quite a strange, diverse and fragmented uh, thing, the same, the same way we experienced the internet when it appeared, right? So it's getting somewhere, not quite sure where. Uh, I, I do agree completely that it could be very useful to start to understand better how we think about hybrid environments that are not really entirely physical, but not belonging to something separate from our physical environment as well. Yeah, thank you both for joining us for an interesting conversation. Uh, maybe we, we went a bit off script, but it's fine. Yeah, no, I think uh, this should be a conversation in lunchtime in the office all the time. <laughs> this type of dialogue. <laughs>